Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai. Welcome to episode 26 of Little Things for Bonsai People. And this time I am joined by Carmen Leskovianski. Hi. Yep. And I nope. got the name. I mean, I think I think it just took it took me saying it about uh, I think it's like the 14th time. No, no, no. Maybe. I think on the episode you haven't been on, I think I've mentioned your name. And hmm. there have been times that you uh, haven't heard me get it right. So this is good. Okay. So now that that's all over with. But yeah, uh, Carmen is the current apprentice at Michael Hedorn's, uh Cartagus Boneside Garden. How's it going, Carmen? Uh, pretty good. How about you? I'm pretty good. Um, I got a lot kind of going on at the same time. Not a lot with the growing season. Everything's mm-hmm. kind of slowed down. Um, and we got first flush hardened off and we trimmed back and now we're just kind of waiting. You're so far ahead of us. Our buds aren't even breaking. Like the spring is taking so long. We don't have leaves on anything really. Like it's insane. Oh, that's weird to hear because Portland's Mm -hmm. very similar to us, but the, the winter lasts a little bit longer and the spring's a little bit, a little bit, uh, I don't know what you would call that. It's a cold spring. It's a long it's a cold spring. spring. And we've had an unusually cold spring, even for us. But yeah, our trees woke up, I think, about a month ago now, and they're already hardened oh. off. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, and we can't have Mike uh, for this one, but uh, like always, we keep the seat warm for him. We're always uh, we're always rotating out uh, our show hosts as we can get them. Uh, today, we will be discussing more on our bonsai forums series where me it's been basically just me and carmen this whole time going mm-hmm. back and forth talking about different styles and forms and uh how to approach them how to view them how to appreciate them and uh this this one's this, this one the the style that we'll be talking about on this episode will be the literati style um i know that one's not simple to break down and it's not mm-hmm. easy to explain what it is but we'll do our best before we get started, though, uh, I do need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people. You can become a bonsai best friend and get your name shouted out at the beginning of every episode as every, as each of one of these patrons have uh, Tori Solis, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snare Grove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers. Ryan Gliar Dano, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia, the ladies at the flower market, and our brand new bonsai best bud, Taylor Peacock. Thank you so much for becoming a bonsai best bud and joining our awesome list of uh, of Patreon supporters and helping grow the show. Um, and then if you want to support us on other platforms, uh, you can go over to underhillboneside.com and you can check out my articles that I've written. You can go over to Facebook at Underhill, follow us there. You can go to my personal Facebook, check out some of the stuff I've been working on personally um, under my name, Evan Pardue, and also on Instagram, the same thing for uh, Underhill. Uh, Little Things for Boneside People has its own Instagram that's linked up to some of my stuff. So if we do a critique, you can go check out critiques that are related to the episodes that are in the descriptions below the images, tell you what episode it uh, that critique corresponds with. Uh, for Carmen, uh, she is one of the co-founding members of the Purple Pot Society. It's the National Women's Bonsai Club, purplepotsociety.org. Go check it out. $35 a year. 
become a member. And there's a lot of awesome resources on there. Um, and also, if you want to check out other, other things that Carmen's been doing on her Instagram, you can go check out Becoming Bonsai. Uh, but if listening to the show is all you can do for now, that's awesome. Just keep keep subscribing on your favorite listening platform. Keep checking us out. Um, and I know there's things that I found recently, like on Spotify, you can leave a rating on your favorite podcast. So, you know, our podcast be one of your favorites and give us a five-star rating. It'd be awesome. I'm sure that would increase the algorithm slightly. Um, and I, lastly, I, I, not, but you know, last, but most, most important to us, uh, to be mentioned, I'm sorry, Matt, I should have mentioned to you, uh, before, uh, it's out of order this time around, but this episode was edited by Matt O'Donnell. Uh, he's a bass player and music producer in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, he's editing our podcast every week. He's making us sound awesome, making us sound smart, making us sound crisp and clean. Thank you so much, Matt. You can go check check out Matt on his Instagram, Matt O'Donnell, or over at his website, mattodonnell.com. And if you want him to edit your podcast or you have some audio engineering that you would like him to do, you can fill out his contact form on his website. Um, but anyway, let's get into it. Um, so I know literati is not a simple uh, cup of tea. You know, you don't just like warm it up in the microwave and throw a tea bag and steep it. You know, uh, there's definitely a much different approach that needs to be thought of uh, when we talk about literati. Uh, but Carmen, you work with a lot of literati at Michael's Garden, right? Like uh, I know from my experience up there, there's quite a few, like more than I've seen in someone's collection than usual uh, as far as literati goes, like good literati too. Yeah, so another uh, name for literati is Bunjin. Um, and we do have a number of them here in Michael's yard. Um, and I think, and they're really, they're really interesting, really cool trees. I think I've definitely fallen in love with them um, since I've been here. And I feel like with literati, people often use it as like, an excuse like a throwaway like they have this tree and they don't know what to do with it and they're like well i guess i'll just turn it into a literati like it's you know like it's like a kind of a whatever kind of thing but if you want to have a good literati good bunjin then it's actually um tricky to really master that and find it really find the right tree and find the right um uh style and pie you know it's it's just it's a lot more complicated than i think um people think and so i hope that as we're talking today we can get folks to be more um interested and not just think of literati as kind of like a, a throwaway like i don't know what else to do so i guess i'll do that um, yeah and yeah. like with the the kind of quote unquote throwaway kind of approach is like whenever somebody's growing out their their tree and they're just they're not really sure what direction to go with it because it doesn't have a really impressive flair. It doesn't have a really good Nabari necessarily. Maybe there's really weird branch placement. Um, and maybe they've been growing the tree for some time and it just seems to keep getting taller and taller. And, and you get to this point with the tree where you're like, okay, if I chop this tree down and restart it, then I have to chop it down and restart it. And, I, and a lot and for a lot of people who are beginning in bonsai, they don't want to do that. They don't want to be mm -hmm. like, all right, I spent X amount of years growing this tree. 
you know, it could be anywhere from two to three feet tall at this point to be lanky and kind of like awkward looking, or maybe it's just a, it's a tree that was just neglected into a point where it was growing in the back, you know, the back mm-hmm. nine, the back 40, whatever you want to call it, whatever the terminology, the correct way to say that is. Um, but it was just some tree that got really tall in the back and it, and instead of getting a taper, maybe it was chopped at one point, maybe getting a taper, it just grew six feet tall. And they're like, ah, oh, crap. Now I got to cut this thing down. And there's no good way to approach chopping that tree back down again. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the, the cop out kind of seems like, okay, well, this, this is literati, you know, yeah, which is, I'll just cut all the branches off except two at the top and oh, boom, literati. Yeah. And, and most of the time that's not correct um, because we'll kind of like break down what the word literati means and what it's supposed to represent. And I'm actually very fond of love literati trees myself. Mm-hmm. I don't go about attempting to make them as often as I used to. And that's, and that comes from just with time of experiencing bonsai and techniques to create you know traditional forms where literati is not a traditional form Mm -hmm. um but at the same time it's it's presented as one of the several traditional forms which i think is kind of unfortunate Mm -hmm. um because yeah we go from informal upright formal upright and then you have your slanting style and your forest plantings and your cascades and then literati is like on the tail end of that Mm-hmm. I've seen in books and I think it's I think it's not I don't think it's right for that to be just presented there because literati is something that is kind of found and not created yeah I was just gonna say literati feels like a found object like when you're doing art and you just you find something that you want to showcase or you find a tree that is a literati and then you know you put it in a pot so other people can enjoy it you don't necessarily create them they kind of already exist in that form and i think that they're a really complicated style because of that and because of all of the things they represent and to just kind of like you said tack it on at the end of a, of a book i feel like they should have their a whole book just on themselves because they're so interesting um mm-hmm. yeah no uh hard agree hard agree on that statement is like I was kind of meandering around with my kind of philosophy on on literati, and I'm glad I got to that point. And was like, it's fa- it's it found mm-hmm. object is the best way to kind of say it. I'm like, yeah, it it was like, and that's kind of what literati is. It's in the embodiment embodiment of of experiences and mm-hmm. and uh, and how we view a bonsai given one simple quality to it that is defining in literati uh yet that could be really complicated is the line of the tree Mm -hmm. so before i get too far into that the word literati is means actually means something of literature so it's considered considered to be the scholarly approach to bonsai shapes and forms somebody Mm -hmm. who is Somebody who is adept in cultural understandings, liter like like literal literal literature. Um, so like 
somebody who's well-read, somebody who's well-studied, somebody who spent hours being studious in the ways of, of the, of different walks of life and all that good stuff. So somebody who's well-educated could understand literati as like a higher form of bonsai art is kind of what is being presented here. Um, and also the literature, the literati part of that is um, the brushstroke. Mm-hmm. So it's a strong, it's a strong uh, expression of a brushstroke as would be seen in kanji as well. Yeah. I've heard it described as um, literally the, <laughs> literally mm. uh, the scholars, like the, the old, the crinkled old hunched over men, you know, writing their kanji or whatever, you know, um, like as a, as a representation of a person almost, you know, uh, somebody who's been through life and has all this knowledge and experience and their body kind of shows it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. The, the bent over, I like the bent over scholar kind of approach, uh, cause it could be that it could represent something, slightly animalistic slightly half human in nature kind of feeling mm-hmm. uh some somebody like i also like to think of like literati trees as in like someone who's been wandering the hills or the mountainside looking for what they consider to be like perfect beauty and so they could sit down with their writing pad and like write a haiku mm-hmm. like exactly, literally yeah it's literally it's it gets to that point where it's kind of that cheesy mm-hmm. um but it's not though, because it's taken it the utmost seriousness, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The most serious cheesiness. Yeah, it's right. it's kind of like an immersion into bonsai in a different way when we look at these trees. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, when it comes to line, uh, in a tree like this, that is that's the main feature of the tree. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the line of the trunk makes or breaks the tree. Um, and I think a lot of times this is where the the found objectness of these trees comes in because it's really hard to create that kind of line on a trunk that, I mean, if you're creating a line on a trunk, usually you're working with a young tree, right? And so it doesn't have that age. And then trying to create that randomness that nature just naturally puts into these trunks it's really hard to make a random curve. Um, when you were here for seasonal, we tried that in class with a piece of wire, you know, we handed everybody a piece of wire and we're like, okay, so when you're wiring a seedling, you know, you kind of want these different movements that, you know, represent that, that look more natural that are kind of random. And then you take this piece of wire and you're like, oh, sure, I can make something that's not an S curve. And then you go to, to, to bend it and twist it and, you end up with an S curve like 75% of the time because it's hard to not, it's hard to be random. So mm. um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all in the line of the trunk. The foliage is an afterthought. Yeah. The foliage can complement well, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Not an afterthought. It, it, yeah, it complements the trunk line. It frames it, it shows it off. It, it can. And, and I've seen literati approaches with, uh, with branching and foliage in several different ways and mm-hmm. and like to say to talk about the way that a literati line is um one of the things that i've experienced is if you're trying to get that that naturalistic randomness and and feel to a tree 
you can't just put a piece of wire and let's say you you did figure out a good shape and formula like you're like um all right i'm gonna take this chinese elm whip and i'm gonna put wire on it and i'm gonna bend it and i'm gonna find a good back and forth kind of feeling but side to side but also in and out something that that lets the eye wonder and is unpredictable in the way that it grows but at the same time you can't get the compression that some older trees have as as far as if you were to try to bend that tree to a point where it's almost like a kink right you're going to break that you're going to break that mm-hmm. whip trying to get that that movement out of that and that's something that older trees can experience is if there's something weird that happens like maybe part of the tree died and it had to change direction suddenly mm-hmm. and and then you get these really awesome very quick movements like literally going literally going the other direction suddenly And those are qualities that we see in literati that are great and things that age can only do to certain trees. Um, So, and for listeners who are not familiar with, with the premise of the literati as a whole, the literati doesn't necessarily need good roots. Roots are, roots are a bonus, uh, but somewhere for a good anchor and the tree is very, very slender Mm -hmm. and, we're not talking like a regular bonsai here where you have big base and then it tapers nicely. Like literati typically don't have any taper. It's all line and it can run anywhere from, from I think the proportions on literati, I don't know if there's any hard, are there any hard rules on literati as far as proportion, like how long they they should be. Have you, I haven't run into any of that. Um, I know that we have, you know, one here that's like 12 inches and I know we have another one that's almost three feet. And I know I've seen one over in Japan that was bigger than that. Um, so I think, I think they can range in size like any other style. I've never seen a Shohin literati though. <laughs> like one that's convincing. <laughs> you imagine like a little eight inch literati. I've never seen that. That'd be hilarious. I've, I've seen a, do you like shimpaku literati? Well, I guess I guess you could probably do that with maybe a shimpaku. It depends on scale and it depends on like you could have like a little shimpaku or a little juniper that you've found mm-hmm. that's got some really twisted crazy nature to it. Yeah. And then graft shimpu- shimpaku onto it. Mhm. But even still like you're saying like the scale would be hard to be convincing because when it comes to literati being bigger, I think the bigger is better with some of these trees. Mm-hmm. Be- because you're looking for age. And if you have a tree that's seven inches tall, you may not have that quality of age. You you might, maybe, but it's a lot harder, I think, to to get um when your tree is smaller than even if it's just, you know, 12 inches tall. Yeah. The space and the amount of details that you could actually cram into that mm-hmm. would feel it feel it would feel a little limited. And mm-hmm. trees that are really old, uh, it, and it doesn't. And here's another thing I think is interesting about literati is that I've there's a there are a few books out there that kind of go into Boonjin literati approach and what materials acceptable. And I've mm-hmm. seen everything and anything from elms, junipers. Uh, I've seen persimmons, um, boxwoods like Japanese boxwood shrub. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, hawthorns, all kinds of different trees. And even like sometimes you'll see it something that's not very, not very predictable. Um, yeah. Like a rosemary would be mm. an awesome literati. Yeah, that would make a good one. Like just something like that weird, jagged, long, twisted trunk mm-hmm. with just this strange, otherworldly kind of feeling foliage that you wouldn't typically mm-hmm. see. So, I mean, you could use any foliage type for it, but I would, do you think the weirder, the better, or maybe the more, I think, I feel like for me and I feel like for me, um, I tend to gravitate towards the literati and the Bunjin that are conifers. And I think maybe it's just because of my level of exposure to them um and because we have a, a lot of conifers here um but those to me the the age really reads well on those because you know that they're up in the mountains um you know they're really old you know they're collected whereas something like an an elm or an azalea or something like that i don't feel like it that's naturally or that's necessarily like a a natural state for them to be in. Whereas with a pine, it feels a little bit more natural. Um, but I think, like you said, you can do them with anything. Um, but I think for me, probably some of the conifers, probably mostly pines feel maybe the most natural to me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think another like one of the things with the with elms and and if you were to try to do maples, I feel like maple like Japanese maple probably could get away with it, mm-hmm. depending on the quality of the trunk. And there's some older maples, mm-hmm. but I, I think one of the one of the things that people would probably be kind of confused by is is whenever you see a deciduous tree in dormancy and a literati without leaves on it, literally could just look like a stick mm-hmm. um, without much to go off of without much uh what would what's the word i'm looking for without any ramification no no not not that Ooh. not going that direction not with any okay. uh what would be uh oh my gosh Impl- implications no implications might be the wrong word like like the the foliage does something for the viewer's eye that when a deciduous tree is is dormant, oh. mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't it's not there's not any thing you to go off of. Get the same kind of depth, maybe hey, something like or... yeah, ramification in on literati is not even like not even like that valuable. I don't think. I mean, what do you think? Uh, I I haven't really depends. seen any crazy ramifications. Depends what you're what you're working with. Um, because the more ramification it can really speak to age if you have you know a couple sticks kind of sticking out of the line of the trunk then that'll make it look a little bit more like a younger tree um but it's not it's not really the same as you know if you have a any other traditional style and you're trying to ramify 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 for tape you know to get those branches real tapered out i think here it's more just to show the level of of age and even so you're going to have such a small amount of foliage compared to what you might have you know because you have a thin trunk you have an old tree there's going to be less 
you're going to want less foliage on there to really convey that age. So, you know, you're going to end up pruning some of that off, but, um, yeah, it's complicated. Um, yeah, I'm trying to imagine a, I'm, I'm thinking to something like a larch, um, that drops its needles over winter and, uh, as a literati and those definitely sometimes even a large forest without their needles definitely looks like a bunch of just sticks in a pot sometimes it's kind of funny yeah that like and i saw i think i was going i was going for is mm -hmm. you have to have something kind of <laughs> to uh like give a frame of reference that's what i was kind of here you go frame of for. reference yeah let, let me let me call mike really quick to see if he could jump on all Boom! Right. All of a sudden, Mike Lane. Uh, Mike, we were you were just uh hanging out, and we we totally forgot that you were there. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Just uh, you know, had actually just got home. Had an afternoon to uh, relax a little bit, and uh, and then I noticed the podcast link, and I said, "Well, let's hop on." Awesome, yeah, man. We're glad uh, to have you here. I'm glad to be here. What are we talking about today? That's uh, a weird good question. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about literati. Oh, yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, no, I like. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> it's a it's a big one. Um, we had kind of gone through how we were talking about literati is something that's more feels like it's found and not created. Um, it's also not something that's just simply created by putting wire on a on a whip and just bending in any direction you feel. There's a lot more to it than that, kind of defined it a little bit. So uh, what do you think, Mike, on literati? You might repeat some stuff, but it's okay. We'll let it ride. Well, I think literati, the, one of the keys to it is that the tree should look like Chinese brush paintings. Yeah. So that's, that's like the, the whole inspiration behind it. And so if it's too curved, if it's too kind of contrived, then... It's not a true literati. And there are three avant-garde styles in bonsai. Um, you know, I was taught in the old John Naka material, and that was the windswept style, uh, the literati style, and the driftwood style. And all those styles uh, seem easy at first, but each one proves to be some of the more difficult styles that uh, at least I've had experience working with, you know, some of the subtleties and nuances. So... Um, my last thing before I, I stop my my whole spiel is uh, I don't think it's what people call a bunjin here in Florida is when your lower branches kind of die off and yes. uh, each one slowly dies off one by one and the tree eventually just has branches at the top and everybody just calls it a bunjin or a literati. And that's uh, if the proportions aren't there, if the taper's too strong, things like that take it away from being a literati so yeah that was one of the very first things i said was like it feels like people kind of use it as a throwaway style like they don't know what else to do with their tree so they cut off all the branches down below just to leave a little on top they're like bam literati right. which yeah. is not the case at all with these trees no no and, and that's what i was saying too is like the subtlety of it behind it is you know can you pinpoint what exactly makes a bunjin a bunjin I, I personally can't. I can't tell you make your curve this way, then go this way. Um, I can tell you that it, it when you see it, you see it. And when it's not there, it's not there. Um, you know, there are guidelines to get you there. But realistically, I think it's um, 
I think it's somewhat true that you're more likely to find one than make one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things that I've um, learned during my apprenticeship in regards to movement and trunk line is that more movement isn't necessarily better movement. And I think that really applies to literati where you aren't necessarily looking for the biggest curve in the trunk or, you know, how you can see all of the big curves all at once. You're maybe looking for that line that has, you know, a medium curve and then a couple very tiny, quick changes of direction and then a smaller curve and then a bigger curve. So like a lot more variation or sometimes even a simpler, but more interesting line rather than just the most movement out of the whole trunk. Well, there's uh, Min Lo, one of my favorite artists of all time, has a saying about uh, bonsai, and he says, too much consistency is just as boring as a straight line. Mm-hmm. So if you make like, if you uh, wire a tree and you wire it into a corkscrew and it looks like a spring, you know, that's very artificial. The curves look very artificial. Even if you have a really extreme movement to it, it's still too consistent. So he's uh, his trees, he makes a lot of them with straight sections, moving into moving sections, moving into tighter bends, moving into straight sections. And so he has a lot of variation in his branch structure, which I think is interesting. So for uh, other, other things to kind of cover with literati, so we talked about the line is most important. We're talking about inconsistencies and naturalist, naturalness to the whole tree itself, something that's found and not created. Uh, conifers tend to look pretty good in literati compared to others, uh, but that's not the only thing you can't have to use or can use. Uh, so I guess the one of the last discussion discussions about literati is kind of what containers are suited for literati. Oh, I was hoping you would ask that. Uh, yeah, I know. I was like, yeah, we get to talk about pots now. Oh, uh, yeah. W- when we talk about bonsai, we're going to talk about from the the, t- the tip of the top all the way to the bottom to the you know everything, man. So yeah, definitely pottery. What is what is a good pot for a literati? Well, Parman, uh, do you want to go first, sir? I've I've been talking. You can. I'll let you talk because. <laughs> No, this is uh, I'm excited you asked that because I I do have strong opinions on the literati pots. And uh, the way I kind of look at it is Bunjin is, in my mind, the most. It's the style that has Wabi Sabi at the foremost focal point. And so for me, it's very, very important that the container contain a degree of like primitiveness almost you want it to be like a non-bond pot for those that Mm -hmm. know what that is the almost squished uh ill-formed pots that you know look like they were made a thousand years ago two thousand years ago and uh i always tell people when i'm teaching bunjin classes i bring in two drum pots and i bring in a refined drum pot that looks pristine all the studs are perfectly clear all the details are precise and then I bring in one where everything's kind of wonky and it's kind of the the studs aren't even all the same size. And there's a lot of it, it, it flaws, quote unquote. And that tends to be more the feel that I appreciate with uh, Bunjin is that uh, very distinct handmade feel to the container. And I also want it to be similar size to the foliage. You know, I don't want to have this massive foliage pad at the top. I usually want the container to be just about maybe three quarters the size of the foliage. So uh, I'm pretty specific about that, but I I don't do glazed containers. I don't do flashy containers for Bunjin. And mm. that's just my own opinion. Yeah, I like I like your, uh, your comment about a squished feeling pot because when it comes to ceramics, 
a, a, a ceramic pot doesn't just get squished. Uh, and so sometimes those these pots are made with more intention or the complete opposite, where by mistake, a second pot in, in the world of pottery. Sorry, that mints messed me up. Uh, in the world of pottery, a second is a pot that's kind of like a misfit or a reject from a kiln firing. And those seconds, those rounds that may have may have uh, gotten too hot in the kiln and kind of melted a little bit, kind of the clay body got a little too hot and it just did something weird or it got burnt if it was a gas-fired kiln and it got like this big giant burn mark on it and it gave it this, this really odd but yet beautiful imperfection. Those pots are kind of like, they feel almost like one in a million to be perfect for your literati. And then also you have your makeshift containers, which um, uh, the NAM band, which uh, which is Mike mentioned a little bit earlier, is the duck bowl pot. That's a repurposed pot that was used as a lid or a bowl uh, for ducks to drink out of. And then they drill two holes in the bottom of it. Typically it's one, two holes, and then they'll cut a slit, uh, not a slit, but they'll kind of bring up an area of it where the water can actually get out and there's there's some kind of airflow i've seen like little tiny notches i've seen wire uh where we were at i was at cartagus and michael showed us this really lovely wire technique to bring the uh, make a foot on the bottom um but yeah there's a lot of ways to repurpose these containers and uh carmen tell, tell us about that one really awesome repurposed pot that michael is using you know which one i'm talking about the one that we put the boonjin in yeah it's a it's a boonjin and it's in a unexpected container oh it's the break drum it's yeah yeah it, it, so it, are you tired to... of hearing about that one <laughs> no this is a cool i we haven't really talked about that one but yeah this bunjin is um it's it's tricky because it's almost a it's like a semi-cascade so can we really i don't know if it's totally classified as a bunjin necessarily but it's in a um yeah it's in an old rusty break drum um and it works really well it's one of those you know kind of found objects that goes with your found tree um yeah it's it's a, a really cool pot and ponderosa pine really like break drums so if you have any laying around <laughs> consider them for your trees um but yeah the non-bon that's a that's a fun one um because we used one of those this spring too for a literati and yeah it's like the the historic equivalent of like the terracotta saucers that go under your pots today but they're much much more interesting looking than a terracotta saucer and the pair the pairing of that of the the old literati with the non-bond or we were mentioning like the imperfect pot or the unrefined pot just furthers the image and so when it comes to displaying um mike have you displayed any I'm sure you have like a literati of some kind. I actually have not done a literati. No, what? but there's a lot wow. of there's a lot of specific rules to it. Um, at least as far as shohin goes. Okay. You know, it's uh, it's the only tree uh, that you can display as, in a shohin composition. It's the only one you can show single tree display. Mm-hmm. So it's also the only tree that can be over ten inches. And in, in uh, a shohin, in like, a shohin, yeah. And yeah. so, but it's not common that you see them used in shohin. And um, yeah, we had talked a little bit about that earlier. And like, can you make a shohin literati? I, it doesn't seem like you necessarily can make it's a tiny literati. Feels kind of funny. It's fairly, it's fairly uncommon. I've only seen one example of like 
formal display with it uh and it's single tree and um but then you know most of the material you'll read and whatnot will have kind of a little snippet about literati shohin and um so like it's not super common but i think uh it can exist you know with <laughs> with the right right, right material right. and stuff yeah exactly exactly I think there's some like uh buttonwoods out there that could probably make some oh really absolutely exceptional... i've seen some amazing buttonwood uh bunjin there's mm-hmm. uh that yeah it's it, i've seen some incredible ones so those are what i'm kind of thinking of as far as found material that has really stri- struck me as true bunjin other than just like a kind of the the curvy wired trunk look what are the other rules that pertain to uh bunjin display because i'm not very familiar with those um other than that uh i know you can show with a scroll and one uh accent item so it's Mm -hmm. similar to like formal display for larger trees but Mm -hmm. in uh on a much smaller scale so okay so it's really just for shohin then it's it has the more specific rules exactly yeah 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 so i i love bunjin one thing i wanted to touch on carmen that you mentioned was the break drum thing and i think that's Mm -hmm. really interesting because sabi uh one of the translations is to rust Ah. and so yeah and so that's you know a real rusting is a real focal point uh, a highlight of wabi sabi you know that idea of impermanence of like unending change Mm -hmm. so yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, this Ponderosa does a lot better than a lot of our other, well, not a lot better, but like it usually is a better color than a lot of the other trees in the yard. And I wonder if it's from the iron in the break drum or if it's because it insulates differently than the ceramic or we've been yeah. trying to figure it out exactly. But mm. it's yeah, it's a fun tree. Well, I know uh, Laurent, I, I was reading his book and he touches on using a metal pot for one of his Chinese elm creations. Uh, and he, I guess for him, it ended up, you were exactly right. The temperature was too much for the tree. So mm-hmm. he ended up having to abandon that idea, but it was a cool pot. Yeah. Really oh, cool. Interesting. That is the fear with some different materials for your bonsai container. You like the metal, obviously you could accumulate a lot of heat, whereas ceramics a lot, it has a lot more of a, uh, what would you, what would you call that? Like a radiation like thermal conductivity. Yeah, there you go. That's better than radiation. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, thanks for those big words, Mike. <laughs> uh, and then like a glass container could even get more screwy with you uh, when oh, I'm God. thinking about stuff like that. I've seen very few glass containers that have been successful um, mm-hmm. and even, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those people. I always teach this is, is if you're going to mess with a couple, you know, hundreds of years worth of trial and error, you know, you have to accept that there will be some bumps along the road. So Mm -hmm. like if you're going to experiment with new pot mediums, new soil mediums, new pruning methods, new styles, anything like that, you're basically entering into no man's land. And Mm -hmm. I always tell people, I'm like, you know, it is an art and you can technically kind of take it however you want, but you are venturing into a land where nobody can really help you. And I can't tell you if your design will be successful, Mm -hmm. can't tell you, you know, much other than kind of uh, extrapolating, you know, mm-hmm. so. So I do like I do like um, experimenting and stuff like that, though. Just, you know, you got to deal with the bumps. Playing around with the literati kind of. Kind of helps us get into that area, but it's still 
you still can't venture too crazy far away from the core principles of the the wabi sabi that kind of makes literati too mm-hmm. so you know it you can play around like we were saying like with different container types or maybe different displays in the future but that kind of is a kind of an art versus bone side conversation we had a little well, while back that would kind of go into that and so. my thing my thing has always been this is like i'm all for it you guys know like i'm big on the cosmic bonsai like laurent and all that but i'm also big on like uh, specific definitions and I've, i always say to people that you can't drink a cup of tea and say you're doing japanese tea ceremony so mm-hmm. it's unless you're adhering to the the ph- philosophical and cultural principles of japanese bonsai then you're not doing japanese bonsai you know so if you're if you're deviating too far from the norm and you're showing a bunjin that isn't really with the rest of its contemporaries well then you do have to ask yourself am i straying too far from those kind of cultures that make it bonsai and not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing just saying that it is important to kind of point out that there is a culture of wabi-sabi and a philosophy that permeates their artwork yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's I could go on for hours about this because I've had this conversation <laughs> so many times where it's like, can you call it bonsai? And I think on some level, absolutely, because you're taking that art form and experimenting with it in more of like a, you know, it's like like when you consider modern art or whatever. Sure. Um, but there's still that this is traditional Japanese bonsai. And so if you're showing uh, literati in, I don't know a teacup, you know, like right. that's not traditional Japanese bonsai, but you could still be using the techniques to create sure. art. So yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, I don't, I don't, and I don't want to get like too nitpicky about like everything needs a specific definition, but I do think like, it's as easy as saying, like you said, traditional Japanese bonsai versus everything else. Mm-hmm. And so traditional Japanese bonsai, I always teach. I'm like, well, traditionally that's not how they would do it. Or traditionally, it's not how it has been done. But, you know, if people want to take glazed containers and make bunjin out of flowering material and all that, that's that's awesome. You know, that's awesome. But care should be taken in deviating too far from, you know, the whole thing that makes it bonsai is like the stillness. Exactly. Yeah, there's a feeling, there's a very particular feeling that a good bonsai display gives you, that wabi-sabi, that stillness that you're talking about. Stillness. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I, I, in all honesty, I don't get a lot of stillness from my tropical bonsai. It's mostly the bonsai that are potted in unglazed containers that are more mm-hmm. stoic are mm-hmm. the ones that tend to give me more of the Zen feel. And the ones that are potted in more audacious kind of loud pots and containers and that flower brightly and have all these, these clever kind of, uh, what's the word, almost like a, a shtick. You know, mm-hmm. all these trees have like something neat about them. But it doesn't fill me with that feeling of stillness, of like meditation. And so I think deviating too far from that, you do lose that feeling. Mm -hmm, For sure. Well, uh, you think we guys are good to do a couple of listener questions and then maybe a critique? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Um, So I I was holding off for critique, but because I wanted to have all three of us because it's a tropical and also it has a... Uh, it has a before and after I sent it to the group chat. Uh, before we get to that, um, we have a comment, not necessarily a question, but it was a, it was a, uh, one of our bonsai best buds made a comment about Yamadori, uh, based off of, uh, the conversation that I had with Nate Murray a couple episodes ago. 
Um, and she says, uh, Tori Solis says, I think that it has been a general term used lightly for any collected materials in the U.S. to explain our process process the best we can, mostly because we do not have any other terms to define what we would call a process of our material collection in our na native language. We are using words that come from Japanese meaning or origin to explain something similar to suit our own experiences. Given our device, our di diverse landscape, many of us are not collecting in the mountains. And I have referred to that material as urban Yamadori mm -hmm. to reflect how it is similar to how that is collected, but different that is material from more of an urban environment. Um, and then she goes on to say, I was able to collect from a local park in Dallas. Perhaps we could call the practice here. And she was talking about me and Nate's practice, Swamp Yamadori, because mm -hmm. I said Numadori, replacing a mountain with, with uh, the mountain word with Numa, which is a swamp word. Uh, and she says, I'm sure we've developed commonly accepted terms to explain our process. It's just the nature of how language develops. And we'll see if see it natural natural development as the expansion of the term Yamadori and is the closest word to describe our experience, if yet imperfect in the definition without modification. I just thought it was a you know a nice way to add on to the Yamadori discussion. Thank you, uh Tori, for that. Yeah, thank you, Tori. That's really good. I really um, like that. I might have stumbled through her explanation a little bit, but she she knows it was an uh it was all a good intention. Uh and then we have a listener question. This is gonna be one that I feel like uh you would like a lot to answer, Mike. Uh from Justin Knight, one of our boneside best buds says, Do you guys have any experience with air pruning pots and how to utilize double potting? Ah, yes. Yes. Air pruning pots are uh are useful mostly, in my experience, useful mostly for conifers. I tend mm -hmm. to dry out uh, other material way too fast and like way too fast. Because you got to think, though, in horticulturally, a bonsai pot contains the soil mass on three sides. So there's only one side that's open, the top. Um, so four sides, sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's basically only the top that's open. And so most of your water loss is through transpiration, not evaporation. <clears throat> if you open up the container on all sides, bottom, top, everything now you get a lot of water loss through evaporation as well so you'd be shocked at how fast those pots can dry out so i tend to only use them for conifers and honestly recent years i've abandoned the process altogether so haven't really used many air pruning pots in uh, recent years um, as far as double potting that i do still do a lot and i do it for various reasons Mostly if I pull the trigger too soon on material and I pot it down and I still have development work that I need to do to it, then I will double pot it to basically uh, get back some of the vigor that I lost in the material. Um, and I also do that to help trees kind of colonize the uh, fresh repot. So if you think about when you first repot a tree, most of your roots are going to be sitting at the top third of the pot now. And so in order to encourage it to go down, um, you need to kind of have a, a good wet dry cycle where it's drying down a little bit and forcing those roots to kind of chase the moisture down. Um, if you have double potting, that forces the roots to go all the way down to the bottom of the pot uh, and kind of really fill in that pot quickly. So I found that like if I really want to lock a pot in and really kind of get a tree to fill in every inch of that, I'll usually double pot it and then put a soil collar on top. And uh, when I take all that off, that sucker is locked in there 
mm-hmm. uh, usually with a big dense brick of roots. And the difference is going to be that now every millimeter of that pot is contained with roots. You know, so now I have a complete 100% colonization of the root mass. And now I can really do some pretty deep refinement work. Yeah. So it, it has has a lot of uses. That's one way I had not considered double potting. I've always, I've only think, I think I've only seen it really for um, like young trees mm-hmm. in, I mean, in development, which is, which is what you're talking about. But if you had something that was further along in the process, um, even just getting it to lock into the pot and have more roots all the way down to the bottom, I think I never really, I never thought of it that way. And I think that's really interesting. I'm trying to, I'm, my brain is going. With yeah. That. Yeah. It's, with all uh, possibilities. <laughs> it's really, it's really, really useful. And, uh, and also, like I said, mixed with the, uh, the collar, the collar's ugly. I hate using the collars, but yeah. they, um, they really, the important thing is that they keep that top like inch moist while everything's kind of rooting in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it really, once I, like I said, once I kind of disassemble all that, it's a brick through and through from the top of the pot to the bottom of the pot. And it's usually happens pretty rapidly, like within, you know, half a season. So mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's, it's pretty cool technique. I like doing both of those. I've got a, a maple that's really struggling in a shallow pot. And I'm wondering if maybe double potting it, just even setting it on top of like a, the second layer of, Sure. soil or pumice would just really encourage those roots to go down just to because it's extending the water column oh absolutely so i think i'm going to try that and see if that works because we didn't put it in a deeper pot we just put it in fresh soil so i'm going to try it i'm going to see if, if that works <laughs> cool yeah um, i like that fun i'm going to do that for me i've 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 got a lot of my show in a so they're in their normal their normal just show pots and then mm-hmm. i've got this big long tray uh, it's just a plastic tray that would go underneath a big, uh, technically a big bonsai pot and just drilled a bunch of holes in it. And I put my regular uh, bonsai substrate underneath there and allowing my my shohin to grow down into that substrate yep. to help mm-hmm. them just get along the growing season faster and easier. And like Mike said, accumulate more root mass. We're getting to root bound in the pot for a shohin easier and more efficiently that way. Um and it's as simple as, okay, I'm going to slow this guy down a little bit. I'm going to pick him up out of the tray. I'm going to, I'm going to cut the roots off at right. once everything's hardened off. You can't go in there and do it while it's growing, obviously, because then you'll, well, not obviously. I shouldn't say it like potentially. Obviously. Like obviously. obviously. Well, well, come on, guys. Don't obviously. cut fresh roots while they're growing. No, uh, but no, uh, once everything's hardened off on the top, then yeah, go in there and you can prune that off of there and you'll slow that little guy down and you'll get, you know. A, a good this i mean that's one way to would you agree mike that's one to, one way to get them up to a point where you're where you would about to show that tree and you're just like let's get you a little kick into the board oh yeah absolutely and like one thing that that i've noticed is premna for instance when i repot a premna it it almost always especially in a tiny shohin pot it'll start to grow it'll come out of repot and everything will be budding out and extending and then it just stops and everything just stalls out and then it'll sit like that for months and grow very, 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 very slowly. And so what I've noticed is to wake them back up to, to even reinvigorate them so that I can get the process rolling again, where I'm pruning them and kind of getting weekly changes in the tree. Um, I'll double pot them and start to get them reinvigorated. And Mm -hmm. so, um, 
that'll start to get them growing again. And then about midway through the summer, I'll usually cut that bottom pot off or towards the fall, cut that bottom pot off. And then they do fine growing similar with the vigor they have until they kind of peter out through winter. And then I start the whole process over. Yep. And that's, and it's another way oh, to ahead, keep them. Sorry. It's another way to keep them from drying out too. Mm-hmm. Right. Just to oh, yeah. um, double potted or, or in a larger tray so that you can just let their roots run. You don't have to water every 30 minutes, you know, like exactly. That's exactly. an exaggeration of course. No, but, no, but yeah. I mean, it, it's true. And and that's the thing too, with, especially if you are trying to run stuff out on a show pot. So it, if you're double potting and you're trying to like build branches and you're trying to like run a branch 12 inches out, well, now that sucker's going to dry out in three hours. So you're mm. not you're not too far from the from the mark from saying you know you're going to be watering after watering after watering in that regards. So mm. you know double potting will help you push a twelve inch branch without having to come home midday and have to rewater the trees. So so yeah, yeah that's useful. Nice. Yep. Awesome. I I love it whenever we can go into. Uh into techniques like that. I mean, Mike, you showed me double potting a couple of years back. And I mean, it's really upped my game in uh, a lot of my show hen and a lot of my, you know, the, the, the shoe hen, just a little bit bigger. It works for those really well. Uh, and it gets show hen up to a shoe hen size. If you're not careful, yeah, something's it can. too, it too can. progressed along. So yeah, it's always fun to talk about those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I've got a ton. I got to go out and do that. I got a double pot now that I potted and they're just sitting there doing nothing now with just leaves and everything. So to get them growing again, I'll go double pot a bunch of them and just wait till they start to root into that medium. Um, but yeah, so we have a, a critique and I wanted to save it for us. Like I told you, uh, and it's also a tropical. So I feel like, uh, Mike, you can weigh in on the care and handling of this species as well, because that's one of the questions they had. I dropped into the group chat and they uh, they did a before and after for us, which I think I'll be able to do that on Instagram. So if you want to refer over to our Instagram, little things for bonsai people, uh, it'll be linked up to episode 26 will be specified for this critique. It's a powder puff uh, by bonsai underscore Bentley. Uh, we've critiqued a few of his trees already. So thank you for the critiques. We we could always use more. I mean, uh, he's so, still sending them, so he must, you know, kind of like what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> he's uh, not yeah. offended yet. <laughs> yeah, we didn't butcher his metasequoia too bad. Um, but the, the the powder puff. So what do we see here? We got two trunks, like a double trunk looking uh, type style going on here, and yeah. then uh, yeah. the pot feels right, feels good. That's a nice shallow glazed container for this kind of tree. Uh, now the trunk lines are really thin. That's one of the things I'm seeing right off the bat. So that's uh, okay though. That doesn't bug me. I don't. I don't mind the thin trunk lines. Yeah. Uh, I actually think all in all, it's a it's a pretty good styling. Uh, it's a good styling. I would say uh, one thing my my critique is uh, on the styling itself would be to increase the wire diameter. Is it looks like that wire was probably really hard to work with as far as getting the branches to move the way he wanted them. Um, and so I usually, when I first started out, I was taught half the diameter of the branch. And mm-hmm. so most of the people that that know me know I wire with much bigger than that, usually for development, like the diameter, two thirds diameter. Um, but when you're first learning half the diameter is a good starting point. And so you'll see on some of those branches, you know, the thin branches are wired fine. 
but the thicker ones, you're not really going to get much, much movement out of that kind of wire. What do you think, Carmen, with the, with the before and after on this? Yeah, I like the color of the pot with the color of the flower. I think that maybe the pot's a little bit, I like the, the, oh my gosh, like the length and width of the pot. I think it might be, um, I, but overall, I think it's a little bit big for how thin and delicate the tree is. But I think, especially since it's in development, it works really well. Um, I would, so as you're going up that main trunk, um, at like the second junction, it looks like there's almost three things coming out of one spot, or you can mm -hmm. see like a back branch and a front branch, maybe crossing. So I would, and it might just be the angle of the photo, but um, I think that's something I would consider changing the the front just a, a smidge or like I said, it's probably just the angle and I'm being really nitpicky here. Um, but yeah, overall, I like it uh, from the before to after. I think it was a really good um, cutback and a good styling uh, for this tree. I, I think I might be the only person that has a little bit of a like opposing opinion on it. <laughs> I'm on one particular part of this tree. Uh, so yeah, where Carmen is talking about where it comes up and it looks like there's three coming out. Mm -hmm. What about that branch that's just kind of going over the top of the secondary trunk? Do you guys think like, this is my opinion that completely removing that branch would help open up that negative space and let oh. that little tree shine. I think you're right. And I also think that the flow on this one isn't necessarily very clear so it would help the flow a little bit yeah especially flow but then would our flow be to the right in which case the whole tree would need to move over in the pot to the left or do i have it backwards um so the so if that branch above the lower trunk was removed then it feels like the tree would shift in the opposite direction. So it would be going towards the left side of the image that we're seeing. Mm. Um, Cause there's a little tiny branch on the, on the secondary trunk that actually cuts in front of the main trunk, um, which mm. I don't really have a big issue with that. Cause I think it's kind of interesting in a way to even suggest more movement mm -hmm. and kind of set principle for the rest of the expectations of expectations of like the line and the movement of the tree uh, mm -hmm. saying that, this is like a kind of a canopy shady tree you would see uh, almost kind of like what a Brazilian rain tree would kind of start out as before it gets into a really, really dense, refined umbrella, uh, like a younger kind of feeling canopy tree like that. So, yeah, I just and I feel like the branch is a little straight for its placement in the tree. It doesn't ascend as mm -hmm. much as some of the other branches would in that area, in my opinion. It's a little and a little on the thicker on the on the more coarser side. So, yeah. What do you think, Mike, with that branch? I think I'd be scared of opening up too much negative space. Um, I, I like my trees dense, so it's a tropical. Maybe it's a tropical thing because I have read that tropical people we tend to like everything really tight, all the mm -hmm. all the foliage pads. Um, but I would worry that it would start looking a little too high up and a little too spindly. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe. Uh, I, I see your, both the points that are valid, but I, if it was my tree, honestly, and this is the way I kind of go about things, I'm pretty aggressive, is that whole branch is lacking like 
the the ramification that it needs further back on the branch itself. So like if you think of branch ramifications going one to two to four to eight and so on and so forth, well, it's very important where we get that one to two. So if it's three inches out, four inches out by the time we first go one to two, well, then how far out are we going to be by the time we get to four? Now we're reaching way too far out to make like a, a good tight design. So me getting to the point is I would cut all that stuff back hard past where there's any green and uh, and let it all bud back and try and move forward by dividing the branches one by one. Um, that's just my approach. Uh, mm. So it wouldn't even it wouldn't necessarily be an issue for me as far as design, because I would be tapering that that branch into ever thinner branches from very close to the trunk. So yeah. I guess uh, I guess my point is I would keep that branch, but cut it back a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree that if there was some density there, maybe it wouldn't be so much of an issue. Um and I think too, it's hard to tell the three the dimensions from the photo. I think that branch maybe is going back a little bit farther. That's so it's what I was thinking too. Shading that out, but yeah. I think if it were shading it out, then we'd have to deal with something. it. Yeah, if it was shading out the bottom, then definitely have to uh, have to deal with it. But mm-hmm. um, but one thing too that I notice is there's a bunch of little like gins on the tree, like these little snags. And yeah, um, I see that too. I'm not me personally. Again, I I'm pretty i'm pretty traditional in most of my practices and uh i don't like snags and stuff like that on trees that we could easily heal them up and so something like a caliandra or a powder puff again just my personal opinion i i tend to not have deadwood on them if i can help it mm-hmm. that could lead to issues down the road too yeah um okay well cool i i mean we love critiquing y'all's trees. Don't be shy, guys. I know it's it's hard to submit uh, an image of a tree and then have three people literally sit there and say things like, "You know what? We we cut this whole thing back hard." You know, sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's just another opinion. Uh, it's a lot and- easier to say things when it's not your tree. It is. <laughs> that that is too. a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that same note, though, is like I've I will say I've had my biggest like level ups uh from my harshest critiques yeah so my my like harshest critiques have been the moments when i made the biggest growth so it's uh that is going to go hand in hand when bonsai i think is like especially as you get to the higher levels is you're gonna you're gonna have to take your lumps <laughs> yep yep um all right but i well, think it's a great tree i really do yeah yeah no it it has definitely has a lot of potential I, we're, we're, I think all three of us are kind of a different boat right now with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're uh, we're three different. We have three different ways approaches. of styling and approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, my my big thing is like I approach just about everything as like a clip and grow project. So I'm like, let's cut it all back and let's grow it from stubs. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I just like powder puff trees. I think they're really fun. They are really fun. Yeah. Great, great flower. Something that you don't see on a lot of. A lot of bonsai that that flower is very unique for them too now there's a lot of varieties of them too a lot of different types that uh mm-hmm. some actually even going against what i just said there's some in brazil called uh, caliandra spinosa where they're collected with gnarly gnarly deadwood mm-hmm. cool yeah, yeah so they, they do have true yamadori there 
Excellent. I mean, yeah, that's a Yamadori that, like you said, it's exclusive to that range. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, okay, well, let's move on to uh, the bonsai word of the week as we get towards the end of our show here. Um, I went ahead and I picked out another complex uh, word for us to just kind of ramble on about. So this, the, the bird, the bonsai, the bird, sorry. The bonsai <laughs> word of the week is Tori key. Do you know this one, Mike? I don't. Tori key. I might be saying it wrong, but, uh, but for the Japanese to like American pronunciation kind of ordeal, it's a T O R I K I Tori key. So I'm, hmm. I'm sure that's close, but it's uh it is Japanese for the propagation technique known as air layering. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, the air layer. The air layer. Tricky, um, tricky air layers. Yep, air layers is another way to uh, jump down a rabbit hole of another like twenty minute <laughs> yeah, conversation. No, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, air layering. Uh, I've I've actually brought this up in a previous episode on the process of how to take an air layer. So um, if you guys want to know how air layer works, then you can either Google it or try to go back and refer to the episode where I explain in great detail how one is done. But, uh, but yeah, the, the benefits of taking air layers is just vast. There are so many opportunities uh, when it comes to uh, different different uh, species and varieties of things that you could do as far as making shohin or making even larger size trees with depending on how how daring of an air layer you want to take. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that, that I think is often overlooked is root correction, is correcting mm-hmm. nabari with uh, ground layering, which is mm-hmm. basically the same thing. But uh, that's really really a great way to kind of get past uh funky nabari on something that's already developed you know so uh, japanese maples things like that it's very common for them to say well we don't like that base let's go ahead and layer on a new one and Mm -hmm. uh and grow like a perfect radial nabari so so it's a good technique it gives you a waste not type approach to it because you know i've seen some trees that have been in development for quite some time and there could be that thing where it's there the grower is saying I, i've spent so much time ramifying this and growing branch structure and this tree is from the earlier days of me practicing bonsai where nabari wasn't that big of a deal to me and now mm-hmm. we're years down the road and like like you said mike a ground layer could fix all your issues with that tree might shorten it a little bit but shortening it might also sometimes that's better yeah Yeah. like if you have a big gooseneck on the tree and it's going all the way up the tree and your first branch is you know way up in the top fourth of the tree that's really really useful to kind of lower that that trunk uh span and then you get two trees and both of them will be better for it because the first one will have a slightly won't be as long we'll probably hopefully have better taper if we're doing the layer and then the bottom one will reduce in height and be able to correct its taper. So for me, I usually, if I'm doing an air layer, it's usually a win-win. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm like, nah, I won't mess with it. I'll just cut it off. Instead of yeah. turning it into a literati, just air right. layer off the top. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying is I can't, yeah, I can't do the uh, the, floor, the Florida literati, uh, sometimes yeah. I call it. 
<laughs> well, you see, you see what I did there is I made sure to include air layering on the end of the literati episode. So we could just circle right back around. Full circle. Yeah. It goes for a full circle. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think we did this one good. Um, I'm glad that we could uh, get Mike to jump in here halfway through. Was, uh, yeah, yeah, me awesome. too. I'm glad I got, I'm glad I got here. I was just, just out pruning trees, catching up, and then noticed the text. So, awesome, perfect. Yeah, getting back to pruning your trees after being out of, uh, being out of town for a little while. That's oh yeah, and yeah. I have to time my repots very carefully because I'm traveling again. So I, I, I missed, I repotted what I could, and now I have to wait until my next window. Hmm. So until I can be home to watch everything recover. Mm-hmm. And uh, repotting season's coming up very soon for you, Mike. Uh, does repotting tropicals come up a little quicker? I start. And- I start now. I mean, oh, I, shoot. I, yeah, I start basically repotting everything except buttonwoods and like some of the hard tropicals. I'll usually wait till May. Um, but like most of the stuff. Uh, ficus rain trees bougainvillea all that i'm doing now oh. get get as much done as i can now i'm not saying people up north or in northern climates should do it that early uh but for me my my whole thought process is should the tree stress i have the whole grow season to kind of recover it mm. and so you're whereas yeah i'm sorry ahead. i was just gonna say you're hotter a lot quit sooner than most too correct and so, so I worry about, I've had things where I've like repotted buttonwoods in August and then they, they don't quite push the way I want them to. And then we're into September and then we're in October and now things are starting to turn around and the tree's not growing good and it has to go through winter very weak. So I've started doing my premnas and a lot of the other things, April and then May for the stuff that needs it hotter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like me and Carmen were mentioning much earlier on, it was, uh, my trees have already experienced first flush, um, hardened off, and we're, we're we're we cooled off. We got a really weird cold front. We cooled off, and everything just kind of went to a standstill suddenly. Um, whereas for Carmen, she was saying you were saying Carmen that like we don't we barely have leaves. Like yeah, you're still waiting for leaves to pop. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. like, some of the some of the maples are starting to to extend, and like the climbing hydrangea has leaves on it. But like, I mean. We barely have leaves. It's insane. <laughs> so cold. But I just I just looked at the weather and like the end of the 10 day forecast, I see 84. So we have a 35 degree nighttime temperature sometime this week. And then in 10 days, we'll be up to 84 during the day. So it's just been a long, cold spring. Yeah, mm. no kidding. Yeah. But it, like everything's just ready. It's all like right there. As soon as we get one hot, sunny day, everything's just going to explode explode yeah that's oh that'll be a good day yeah i'm excited (laughs) yeah that's cool i'm jealous and plus you guys are gonna have 85 degree days that sounds amazing Mm -hmm. what's it uh what's it looking like right now for you mike well we're not you know today was luckily like an 85 degree day um but lately honestly luckily (laughs) luckily well because it's been in the 90s man it's oh oh my god yeah it's been hot Mm. so um so I, you know, we, we were joking before that it's like, we didn't even get a spring. We just jumped right into summer. And, uh, so it's nice to get a couple 85 degree days. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, 
yeah, this this has been a great uh, great episode. We had we got a lot done. We got a lot talked about. We talked about the weather again. We love we talking did. about the weather. <laughs> got to talk about the weather. It's, yeah, talk about it's about what yeah. you do. We'll just do the forecast segment at the end of each episode. Will, so everybody yeah. knows. What do, you, what do you have? What do we have in your part of the woods? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Louisiana is uh is fair, overcast, eighty yeah. degrees. Hey, this is going to come out next week, and everything's going to be different. Everything's oh, yeah. drastically different. <laughs> exactly. But uh, you but yeah, pack your umbrella. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's about to get rainy over here. Yeah. So the, the rainy season is about to show up and I'll be thankful for that because, yeah, our springs tend to like creep up really nice and soft. Like we don't really have any extreme hot days like you guys are experiencing in Florida. And then as soon as it does get a little too warm, then it just rains for like 30 days straight. It's mm, great. Yeah. I don't know. It's been raining for about six months here. So I was about to say in Portland, it just hardly ever sunshines over there. So, <laughs> well, once yeah. we hit June, we won't have rain again till September. So really, that's I so strange. Probably- yeah, it's like totally up. dry and arid all summer. Yeah. Ours awful. is uh, the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this one up, guys. We're running pretty long on this one, but uh, it's it's been all good stuff. Uh, so we'll catch up on the next episode. I know we're trying to get a featured guest in. All um, right. Yeah, we're talking about. I don't want to spoil it for any of the listeners, but uh, but we're gonna talk about it after the episode's over. So. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and end this one, guys. So. Uh, Thanks for listening, uh, Bonsai Buds and new listeners and Bonsai lovers alike. And thank you, Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. And thank uh, you, Mike. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> for, for hanging out. It was supposed to be, thank you, Carmen. You'd be like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, and I'll be like, you're welcome. And I'll be like, and thanks, Mike. And you'd be like, yeah. I just yeah. wanted to make it really awkward. Thanks for making it super awkward. Uh, and we will talk to you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah.